Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and I'll read our questions for us. First question is, how does the lepers, not leopard, so we're not talking about a cat, the lepers' physical condition relate to the condition of all humanity? Maybe you might be able to answer that now. Number two, what way does the lepers, not leopards, right? Not the cat, not the band, healing point to our redemption in Christ? And number three, how does the redemption in Christ restore us to the church, and why is that restoration so important? Okay, so a little bit lengthier on that last one as I squeeze two questions into one. Like a good teacher, I can cheat that way. All right, so we have been in, in, in Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 4. We've noticed the big transition has taken place in those chapters, and so far chapter 5 has been pretty awesome. Um, and I don't want to throw that word around lightly. I don't want that word to just to become a junk drawer word. This chapter has been awesome. As we've been seeing Christ and his divinity revealed, we're seeing uh, the kingdom of God being, being revealed through these miracles, the casting out demons, the healings. Uh, he, last week we saw he changed the laws of nature. He changed the laws of, of nature and having the, the power and the authority to, to, to go over or to do that. Um, at the end of chapter 4, though, there was this, uh, there was this hallmark of significance where, where, where Luke really wanted us to understand or, or hear about this uh, particular time where Jesus went to Nazareth. And when Jesus was in Nazareth um, at, his, at his hometown, he was invited to speak at the synagogue, and while he was at the synagogue, he read from Isaiah 61. Now, Isaiah 61, if you remember, is a messianic psalm, right? It's speaking to the, to the, um, the, the, the ministry or the work of the, the Messiah, the anointed one of, of God. And, and, and just to recount real quickly, this is, this is what it says. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was back in Luke chapter 4 and Isaiah 61. So not to, not to re-preach this passage, I, I want us to see that Jesus is claiming some pretty amazing, awesome realities. Jesus is claiming some pretty amazing, awesome realities that, that in his ministry, in the accomplishment of his ministry, that he is going to see done. And so all those who were there, they heard this and they were amazed and they couldn't believe that this is Jesus. This is the Jesus that I grew up with and he's claiming to be the Messiah. And as they were there, Jesus pretty much turns everything upside down, what they thought the coming Messiah would, would do, right? And so things go bad, right? Things go really bad. They try to kill Jesus. They try to push him off a, a cliff for, for speaking in such a way, for exposing their misunderstandings of the gospel and how Jesus was there for the outcasts and not just for Israel. And Jesus skated through that almost near-death experience 
And then he came to Capernaum. Capernaum, he was, he was welcomed. They, they, wanted, they wanted Jesus to be there. They, they heard him preach in the synagogue in, in, in Capernaum, and they, they were all amazed at the authority and the power by which Jesus spoke, just like he, he did in Nazareth. Just like he did in, in Nazareth. They, he spoke with a power and authority unlike ever before. Now, you see, the Bible speaks something um, pretty clear to us that, about prophets, right? There's this test that the Bible talks about prophets. Now, when there's this guy who comes before you, Israel, and, and he starts making prophecies like he did in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and then saying, I'm him, he's going to have to back up those words. He's going to have to prove the point that, uh, that as he's saying who he is, he actually is proving that that's exactly what he is. Or he would be, what, a false prophet. More than just a, a, a hypocrite, but a, a false prophet. So, so as the, the story goes, we see Jesus not only teaching with power and authority, but then that same day in the temple, the demon comes to Jesus and he casts him out. He casts him out. Later that day during lunch, Simon Peter's mother-in-law has a high fever. Jesus speaks the word and heals her. They enjoy their time. She immediately gets up and starts serving them. Later that evening, they open up their shades and open the door, and, and the town has just come out to see Jesus. Everybody who was sick with disease, illness, paralyzed, whatever it was, came to Jesus, and he healed every single one of them. And then, of course, last week we, we, we saw how um, uh, Simon Peter they were, uh, and, his, and his buds, they were down there fishing. Right? Jesus comes down to the shore and he's teaching. And, and the whole story there brings us to the, to, to the focal point is that when Jesus goes out on the boat with these, with, with these guys, he asks them to go fishing with them. And, and Jesus shows that miracle. He shows the, the miracle to, to Simon Peter and to, to Jesus that not only does he have the power and authority over creation to blow up their fishing nets and to sink their boats, but Jesus has the power and authority to call fishermen. And, and, and I just kind of want to stop there for a second. And I didn't say this last week, but, but think about how profound that is that Jesus called a fisherman. He was a fisherman for a reason. He wasn't the elite. He wasn't overly intelligent. He didn't make the cut to be a teacher of the law or those prestigious jobs. He was a fishermen. So look at just already, in just these instances, don't we see Jesus fulfilling Isaiah 61? Not only preaching the liberty to the oppressed and to the poor and to the blind, but he's actually doing it. He's flipping the whole idea of the kingdom of God upside down. And we see that same idea take place today. He is proving that who he is, is who he says he is. And how is he doing this? We see that from Isaiah 61 too. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. That the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. So let's look at Luke chapter 5. Let's see how this continues as Jesus continues to show us who he is. Luke chapter 5, look at verse 12 and let's read this together. While he was in one of these cities, unknown, right? Just another one of these places. There came a man full of leprosy. 
And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him, Tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report of him went about abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear them and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Already, this is like the third time we see Jesus going to a desolate place to pray. Um, Take note, as, as I think Luke is letting us know the importance of that as well. There's a lot of people... In, in our culture today, and we see it, um, and not to have time to really go over statistics and, and kind of run those by you, but it's really obvious. There's a lot of people who struggle with, with anxieties and fear and pressure, and that builds up into stress. Um, and I know that's a pretty broad statement. Um, when I think, what I think one of the greatest uh, anxieties and fears and stress that we have been placed upon us has, has been from a cultural idea that we must perform in a certain way, meaning we must excel in a certain way. We must always be exceeding. We must always be winning. We must always be moving up in the world, being happy. Right? If you're not happy, then something's wrong. If you're not exceeding, if you're not making more money, if you're not achieving that, that better home, or if you're not getting that higher, uh, that higher salary, if you're not having the perception of of a better car or better clothes, then there's something not right. And there's that, there's that pressure of this upward mobility in our culture. I think in some way or another, we all feel it, and we're not immune to this. I think at any age, we feel this. You know, as cool and as chill as I am, don't laugh, I'm certainly not immune to it as well. As a pastor, I'm constantly wanting to analyze where we are and where we're succeeding. And if that's where we are succeeding, then that must mean I'm succeeding. As a father, I'm constantly weighing that out, struggling with that, feeling anxious about that, that I'm not good enough. I haven't done right in that way. How come I don't look like that dad? He looks like he does cool things with his kids. He never gets angry, at least it looks like it. Or as a husband, we shape our lives around these perceived cultural expectations. Or, or maybe it's uh, expectations that we've gained from other people or from family members or, or whatever it may, it may be, these expectations of success and happiness. And it puts a pressure on us. It puts a, a strong pressure on us. We can, we can look at social media. And, and, and I know I dog social media, and I'm on social media. But we, we, we can look at social media, and we can see someone's life or this perception of how good their day went through 149 characters on Twitter, which certainly doesn't come over. That's one of the reasons why I hate Twitter. I, can't, I feel like every time I try to quote something, I'm not like 151. Or, or maybe we, there's this beautiful picture on Instagram. You know, the filter's just right, the sunlight's just right, there's a right smile 
The kids look happy. No one's nasty or dirty. No one needs a bath. No one's been drawing on the walls. Everything looks good. Or maybe it's that, that Facebook post or that share that we look at and we see, man, someone got another car, a new car again. Or wow, their house is looking good. Or look at those clothes. Doesn't she look fit? Look at their kids. They don't look like they're a mess. So we see this. Or even look at their church. They don't look like they're struggling. That's me. And it's easy on any given day to go to social media and, and compare ourselves to, to people. And even then, sometimes then we would post things that make ourselves look a lot better than we should. We give in to that temptation to try to go at long lengths to hide ourselves in plain sight. To only show the good side, right? You know, pictures, nope, get my good side. We go, we go long lengths to do that. We compare ourselves. And what we're going to see this morning, what we're going to see this morning in, in, in our passage, is not the person who hides. It's not the person who pretends. It's not the person that, that runs away from these things and these, these fears and the anxieties or, or those, these perceived notions of where they're not good or the guilt or the shame or, or whatnot. But what we are going to see from our passage is that deep down as we recognize this brokenness in, our, in ourselves or we're tempted to compare ourselves to other people, we realize that there's something broke not only just in us, but there's something broken in all of humanity. And this brokenness is this sickness, this disease that has infected all of us and it tempts us to fear. And it leads us to be anxious and causes us to want to run and hide and cover ourselves up with rags and pretend like nothing's really the matter or wrong. That is the condition of the human heart. And that's, the, I think, the, the meaning of our passage this morning as well as proving who Jesus is, saying who he is and proving that, is that what we see before us is we see a man who is sick. This leper. That's all we know of him. The leper who was terminally ill. He was on the, 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 the doorsteps of death every day. But when he encounters Jesus, not only does he see the level of his sickness, but he sees his need, his need for the only one that can cleanse him and heal him and to help him. His story, as we will talk about this morning, his story is our story. And his healing and cleansing is our cleansing. So let's talk about leprosy for a moment. What a great topic, right? <laughs> leprosy, right? What a, what a great topic. Uh, now, now, the good doctor here, Luke, gives us another description of this disease. He was full of leprosy. He wasn't partially. He wasn't, he wasn't just at the beginning, of, beginning stages of his leprosy, but he was full of leprosy. When, when it first appears on the body, it appears as, as white spots white spots on, on the skin. And then it leads to and progresses to this full 
uh, this full disfigurement, and it takes years and years to, to get so. So this is a man who is advanced in his illness. Years, decades of, of leprosy. Now we, today, we don't, we don't call leprosy leprosy anymore. We call it Hansen's disease. And it was named after a guy, Hansen, who discovered or, or who was able to diagnose its cause. Now, now that just doesn't make sense, by the way. Um, and it, why would, if you discover something such as bad as leprosy, why would you want it named after you? I don't, that, that just doesn't sound fair, right? Um, Anti-Hansen's disease or something it should be called. Um, but anyways, this guy discovered what the problem was with, with ha- where, where it comes from, right? And so the, the perceived idea of, of, uh, of, of leprosy, as we might know, is that most believe that it was a disease inside of you that, att- that, um, that, that basically attacks the flesh, right? And it begins to kill the flesh and causes the flesh to rot off. And, you, and you know, we, have, we know pictures and we've seen and movies and stuff where people's ears start to fall off and they look like they're rotting off and fingers. I know it's going to be gross for just a moment. Um, and, and that's the idea of what's always been perceived. But what Hansen discovered, and, and another guy later, is they discovered that it's, it's an attack on the nervous system. It attacks the nervous system in such a way that it takes away your ability to be able to feel pain. That sounds cool, right? Not able to feel pain? No. Not good at all. So it attacks, it attacks the body's warning system to feel, to feel pain. So think about that for a moment. Um, where where you, you once could feel, you can touch, and you know, I can touch that and it's a little cool. Or if you, you, you know, touch a stove, you know it's hot, or you feel the heat of the stove or a coffee cup. All that's gone. All that, all that is, is, is gone. So, so you can um, imagine now that everything has become numb. So you, you can bump your head and you won't even know it besides the movement, right, if it, if it makes you move. If you, could, you could burn your hand in a fire and you wouldn't even feel it. You'd look down and you'd see your hand melting, I guess. Or you, you, you do things in your eyes and you hit your eyes and cut your eyes and, you, and, and nothing heals, right? Nothing. You, you, you cook over a fire, you wash your face, and, and guess what? That water is not at the right temperature. It's scalding hot. What does it do to their face? So you can imagine. You can imagine the deformities over, over time of just trying to do normal life, grabbing things and, and gripping it too hard, breaking your hand, disfiguring your, your hand. I know this may even sound even the grossest, there's been known cases that those with, who've had leprosy, they would have their feet chewed on by animals and not even know it. In fact, um, one of the guys, when they began to treat it, after, when he was treating someone and they got to a certain point and certain stage in, the, in their treatment, he would send the patient home with a cat. That's how wicked cats are, by the way. Because if the cat started chewing on the guy and they woke up, then we know the guy was being healed. Or was being, he was healing. Serious disease. Serious disease. A serious disease that takes away pain, any consequences of pain, and, and at such great costs. And, and this is why people with leprosy look the way they look. And this is why this guy, who is full of leprosy, he's showing his yes, full effect before Jesus and before everybody else, the destruction of his, of his body. This poor guy in our passage this morning has not been, been able to feel anything for 
years and decades. And his body has shown the wear and tear and the deformity and the mutilation from head to foot, the rotting and foul smell of his body, the, un, the uh, being able, not even treating cuts, the wounds, the burns, the rashes, whatever it may be. That's, I think that could be level one of this guy's issues. Level two of his issues is that lepers in Israel didn't have a very good place or position in life. And Leviticus 13 actually explains and says, this is, this is what it's for lepers. It says, the leprous person who has, has the disease shall wear torn clothes. So he has to look a certain way. He has to let his hair out and his head hang loose. The hair of his head hang loose. So he has to look disheveled. And he shall cover up his upper lip. And, and wherever he goes, he, he cries out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. I could hardly imagine this kind of humiliation, this kind of, this kind of quarantine, this kind of loneliness and isolation that takes place for years, decades. Not only suffering the horrible disease and watching your body literally rot uh, uh, away, but being completely alone and being treated as an outcast, not only by your people, but by your own family. Not able to come to church, to worship, to be loved, to be touched. But this law makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's the protection for the people, the protection for the community. It's the, protect, the spiritual protection of the people and the uncleanliness, not to bring uncleanliness to the community. But everything about them had to change. They had to look the part. They had to omit the part, crying out wherever they went, unclean, unclean, so that everybody else could run away. They were beggars. They could only survive by what was given to them mercifully. And things got worse by the time Jesus came on the scene. You know, way past when Leviticus was written, the, the Pharisees wrote their little laws. They added to, they added to the law that, and said that if a, if a leper even stuck his head into someone's house, that house would become unclean and had to go through the ritual cleaning process. If they even made it illegal for, for you to say hello to someone who had leprosy, you were then considered unclean and needed to make offering for, for cleanliness. A leper had to, had to walk or remain at least 100 cubits away from people if they were upwind from them. They had to remain 100 cubits away. And if they were downwind, they had to be five. In fact, the, 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 Jewish, um, the famous Jewish historian Josephus of the first century, um, he, he said that lepers were to be treated as if they were already dead. They were to be treated as if they were already dead. A dead man walking. And if you saw them, that's what they looked like. And in fact, for us, and with our modern eyes and, and things, we would, we would think that they were zombies. I don't, mean to make, I don't mean to make light of that, but that's what they look like. It kind of makes me wonder if that's where that idea came from. If this 
If this poor man's condition couldn't get any worse, it does even more. It piles on. Because if you had leprosy, they didn't, they didn't just treat you as an outcast because they had to. And then they made all these other laws that made it worse. But he was looked upon as someone who had sinned greatly. And because they sinned, or because there's some sin in their background, or some sin in their history, or maybe their parents sinned in some way, then that's why they did this. Can you imagine living with that kind of guilt? That kind of fear, that kind of, that kind of anxiety placed upon you? That, that it, maybe it's something that I did wrong, but I don't know what I did. And this is the life that this man lived. And even though Jesus addresses this misunderstanding directly in the Gospels later for us, that it is a misunderstanding, the dire situation of the leper, his spiritual disease, this leprosy, it illustrates for us not only the effects of leprosy and the dangers of leprosy and Hansen's disease or whatever, but it illustrates for us in a very physical and spiritual and emotional way the effects of sin. The effects of sin. The effects not only on him, but the effects on all of humanity. He was not any more guilty of his sin before the Lord than any of the other Jews, or any of us for that matter. His physical condition of full of leprosy is a parable for us to see sin. Because it is an outward and visible sign of the innermost spiritual corruption of all of humanity. That this is the condition we live in outside of Christ. Lepers. Dead. Rotting. Doing things and not even feeling it. Feeling numb. Ever heard our culture say that? Or making themselves feel numb. This is the sin, the, 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 the sinful effects, just like leprosy. It numbs us from everything. It destroys our ability to feel what is actually hurting us and what is actually killing them. It corrupts everything. It makes us completely unclean, impure, corrupting everything we touch. And what is the eventual effect of sin? Death. And this is the way that we are born. In fact, David recounts for us in Psalm 51 that he was brought forth in iniquity. We were all born with this spiritual disease of sin, like leprosy. Paul later teaches us in Ephesians 2, as we, as we well know, that we were born dead in our trespasses and sin. I said earlier that for most people they begin to see, when they begin to see that something is broken, just like the leper, not only is our comfort to cover ourselves with our own filthy rags. So think about that. The way that we try to heal our spiritual disease is we try to cover ourselves with our own filthy rags. We try, to, we try to hide it. We try to pretend that, that our condition really isn't as, as bad as it seems. In fact, this is one of the, the, the lies of sin, isn't it? 
We, we've talked about it. It's to, it. It teaches us and shows us to, to lie to ourselves and believe that we're not as bad as we really are. And this awareness of our sin, and I think this understanding of leprosy brings us a lot closer to this situation and to this story now, doesn't it? Because no longer is this just another person who needs to be healed, and I'm standing and I'm one of the spectators watching, but I am the leper. But I am the leper. That brings us a whole lot closer to this story. Because this man, broken physically and emotionally, was, was desperate. He approaches Jesus and he makes this, this bold request. This, this bold request. And, and you can imagine the disruption that it causes, right? Uh, Matthew puts this in, in, in line with the Sermon on the Mount. He puts this story in line with the Sermon on the Mount. So there's people gathered. And all of a sudden, here comes this, here comes this guy who, who is a leper, and he's just going right through the crowd, straight to Jesus. So you can imagine, like, the, the Red Sea parted, avoiding this guy like, like the plague he is. And he comes to Jesus, and he, and he runs to him, and as verse 12 says, when he saw him, he fell on his face, and he begged him. He didn't ask. He begged him. And that, that begging, it was, I think, was repetitive. Lord, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. You can make me clean. Isn't this amazing that two passages in a row, we see men who see Jesus as he is, and they fall flat on their face before him. And they both use the same title. Lord. And he doesn't ask to be healed, does he? You see that? Look in your Bibles. He doesn't ask to be healed. He didn't say, Lord, you can heal me. He says, Lord, you can make me clean. And Luke is making for us this priority. And we don't just need to be healed. We need to be cleaned. We need, we need to be cleaned. And this, this priority of not just our need, but it's the recognition of that need that we need to be cleaned. It's the recognition of knowing that we need to be cleaned. We know who Jesus is. We see Jesus and that he is the only one that can make us clean. I mean, if the leper ever thought to himself that he was okay, all he had to do was look down and see the nub of hands that he had see his skin wrapped up in blood-stained rags and know that things are not right. And I am broken. I am hopeless. I am a walking dead person. Hopeless. But he begs in humility and reverence. This posture before Jesus falls on his face. In fact, I think this points us to Back in, back in Matthew, as I said, talking about the, the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, there's the Beatitudes. And the first two Beatitudes is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is this man. He is poor in spirit. He is mourning. And what does Jesus do? Sin breaks us. Sin leaves us broken and ugly and desperate like a beggar in need. 
It ravages us. But it is at that place when we, when we see that, when we see that, that stain, that ugliness, that defilement, that uncleanliness, it is in that place where the gospel does its greatest work. It's right there where the gospel becomes the greatest of news. It was that day when he saw the physical manifestation of the gospel, Jesus Christ himself, that all of a sudden his hope and his life changed. Because it was him who could heal him or clean him. The self-sufficient do not need the gospel. They think that they have no need or believe that they can just make it on their own. But God comes to the empty in spirit, the broken in spirit, and those who mourn their condition. This is the way we come to Jesus. I know you've heard the old saying, and it's been blamed on being in the Bible, but it's not. God helps those who help themselves. It's actually a saying by Benjamin Franklin. And I could not tell you how far away from the truth that is. God helps nobody who can help themselves. Because you don't need Him. God doesn't meet us halfway. God meets us like a dead leper. Rotting. We can't meet Him halfway. To the comfortable, to the okay... This is the great tragedy of your life. This is the great tragedy of your life, coming to Jesus half-heartedly, not seeing your real spiritual condition. And this is the offense of the Gospel for so many. But if you're like this guy, this is the sweetest and the greatest news ever. It's the sweetest and the greatest news ever. And so it's nothing to humble myself and beg Jesus to clean him. And knowing his need, we see this is what the leper does. He asks in faith, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Only if, if you will, only if, if you will, you can make me clean. I think you have faith. And faith opposes, opposes sin. Sin tries to control us. I already told you the first one. Sin tries to control us with two lies. One, it tells me that I'm, I'm okay. There's nothing really bad with me. My desires are normal and, I, and they should be indulged. And number two, sin also lies to us by telling us that, that you are so bad there's nothing you can do. And that there's nothing that, can, that, that you can do. There's nothing anybody can do. Nobody can clean you up. These are the traps that, 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 that sin puts us in, tries to enslave us in, that tries to wrap us up. It traps us with pride and self-righteousness, with constant guilt and shame. But through faith we can see our sin, but that through faith we see the greatness of a great and glorious, wonderful Savior who, who alone could save and redeem and can clean 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this situation is intense. He comes to Jesus. He begs for mercy to be healed, to be cleansed. And Jesus is there standing at him and could respond in a number of which ways. Mark's gospel gives us a little bit more about how Jesus responded and he said that he had, he had pity on him. He was moved with pity. Jesus was moved with emotional and, 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 and moved physically at this man's posture and at this man's request. And so what we see at the height of this passage, to everybody else watching, at the height of this passage, something that is so scandalous and so unheard of that this rabbi, this teacher, this prophet would reach out and touch him. Would reach out and touch him. In, in the Greek, the, the word wasn't just, I, I'm, you know, I'm barely going to touch it. Like, like someone says, hey, touch this. And you're like, eh. No, it was, he holds him firmly. Here's a man who hasn't been touched in decades. He hasn't been touched in decades. And I, I imagine he's being moved and, and, and probably in shock as well that, that here the Son of God is, is touching him. No one touches lepers. Yet Jesus does. You know, there's a, I read a story uh, a pastor recounting a story of a, a guy that he was sharing the gospel with of, a, of an older gentleman who lost his wife year, or decades ago. And, and he was very lonely. He didn't have, they didn't have any kids. He was very lonely, and he would, he would every week go get his hair cut just so somebody would touch him. You can imagine the power of that. Imagine the kindness of Christ, the compassion, the mercy of Jesus to reach out and, and to touch him. What kindness, what sympathy. What sympathy that he was showing that he would get physically involved and show love. And it was in that touch that Jesus healed him. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And all of a sudden, he was complete. He was made whole. His hair grew back to normal. His fingers came back. His hands were no longer disheveled. The, the skin tone came, came back. All the scars and scabs and, and all those things all cleared up. Ears grew back. Eyeballs went back to normal. Everything went back to normal for him. And just as the living parable for us in this the brokenness that leprosy does. I think this is a living parable to us about our cleansing that foreshadows Christ's glorious purpose of redemption. Jesus, the pure and spotless Christ, took on flesh. He grasped flesh. He took on flesh. And through his incarnation, he bore our sickness and our sinfulness on the cross. Jesus took on flesh. He became, he became like us in every way, but without sin. And at the cross, 
is where He took hold of our sin. He grasped our sin. And He became sin for us on the cross. And He bore in His body all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our rottenness, all of our disease. He cleansed us just as He cleansed the leper with His touch. He cleansed us, giving us His purity, His righteousness. So as scandalous as it was for Jesus to to touch this leprous, unclean, rotting man, it is meant for us to see that the Son of God, as He died on the cross, was reaching out and touching us and cleansing us, taking our unrighteousness and giving us His righteousness. We know this as the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Where Christ takes our sin, our unrighteousness, and gives us His. This is redemption. This is redemption. What a beautiful picture of redemption we see in our passage this morning. The price paid for our sin was removed from us. And we are given a righteousness unlike our own the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. As glorious as this redemption is in, in cleansing us before the Lord, I, I think that it even gets better. It gets better because our passage shows us even more. Because that's not the end there. You see there in, in, in verse 14, Jesus then prescribes for him to go do something. Not only don't tell anybody that I did this for you, but just go tell the priests. Go to the priest and, and let him make an offering for you to show everyone else that you have been cleansed. That you have been cleansed of this leprous disease that was killing you, according to the law of Moses. So this isn't something random. This comes from the law of Moses. We saw in Leviticus 13 how lepers were to be treated. Le- uh, Le- uh, Leviticus 14 shows us how lepers are to be brought back into the camp. Rarely did it happen, but it did. It shows in Leviticus 14 this this long eight-day ceremony of bringing these guys back into the camp. This guy was going to to an eight-day ceremony for his cleansing back into the camp. You can look to Leviticus 14 and it'll it'll show you. He comes to the priest first and he tells the priest, Priest, I'm, I'm clean. I'm good. Look at me. The priest comes out of the camp, skeptically gives him a once-over, peeks behind some of the little rags that wraps around him that he might have taken off. He says, yeah, you're looking pretty good. He brings, gives to the priest, well, priest, here's my offering. I, he brings him two doves, two birds. And he also has some other things. He has this, um, <clears throat> what does it say? He has some hyssop, he has some cedar wood and some scarlet yarn and a bowl. They take one of the birds, they kill it, they slaughter it, and they pour all the blood into the bowl. They take that stuff, they dip it all into the bowl, and they're swirled around, and he sprinkles the blood on the, the, the former leper. They take the other bird and they release it. And then he's brought into the camp. He's brought into the camp, but he's not allowed to go home yet. He's in his own tent, he has to go sleep in his own place for seven days. Right? Or actually, first he goes in, he has, to, he has to take a bath first. He comes in and takes a bath, washes the blood off, and all that other stuff. And, and he, he cleanses himself. He has to shave. He shaves everything. 
After seven days, he has to do the same thing again. He has to shave and take another bath. On day eight, he brings three lambs, three spotless lambs. And they sacrifice each of those lambs for a, uh, a guilt offering. Um, where, where are they at here? The, the guilt offering, uh, a grain offering, not a grain offering. Um, uh, where did I put it here? Uh, I guess I took it off here. Yeah, guilt offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering. There you go. He, he gives these three things so that they, he can offer to be brought back in, to be restored into the camp at the show that he has been restored, not only to the Lord, but to everyone else. That seems like a long process. That seems like a long process, and this is what Jesus sends him uh, to do. And I think the reason why he does this, and just like it's prescribed in the Old Testament, is it shows the, the, the necessity of the atonement of Christ. It shows the, the detail, the intricacy of our guilt and our uncleanliness and the need for a pure and spotless lamb. And yet also it shows how he is restored then to the community. Brought back into the camp. Brought back into the, to, to the family. Brought back into, into Israel. I, I, I could not walk away from this idea that he, he needed to be restored back to the people. Doesn't this happen with us? That our redemption in Christ is, is powerful enough and greater, greater enough that it can restore us before the Lord, but it also restores us in community? the community of faith, into the, into the church, to one another? Can you see, even in that long, arduous process that we, that we were talking about in Leviticus 18, and there's like 20 verses there that describe the details of all the, all the things that take place in those eight days. But can you see the parallel there with the baptism? The picture, the symbol of being cleansed and being restored to the community. And just as Jesus redeems us and as Jesus has cleansed us, he has taken our disease and our unrighteousness like leprosy and he has given us his righteousness. And I want you to see the glorious effect that it has in our lives. But I also want you to see the, the, that redemption is meant to be lived out in community together. Our redemption is not just something alone. He didn't just send this guy off to go live as an outcast anymore, did he? No, he said, go home. Go to the community. Go back to your people. Be restored. Celebrate. Let them celebrate the, the mercy of God, the, the restoration of God, the mercy of God. Celebrate it into the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is what we do in baptism. We celebrate the mercy of God and the restoration that someone who was dead has now been made alive. It's one of the things that we're going to celebrate this morning at the Lord's table. We don't do it individually. We do it together. This is, an, this is an us thing. That's so why we eat together, we receive together, we pray together. We gather together at the Lord's table because we are the body of Christ. We have been united in Christ. We have been redeemed in Christ and we remember together in Christ. I think for one of just the real basic, just digging down to the basic, is that we, we, we live in this redemption, commu redeemed community because 
it, shows, we, it allows each other to show evidences of God's grace in each other's lives. If you're living alone, who else is going to show you that God is living in your life? That God is working in your life? That the Holy Spirit is working in your life? If we are living alone and we're living secluded, even if we come to church, we still can live secluded. We're going to be tempted to go back and live like a leper. We're going to be tempted to fear that maybe I really wasn't cleansed. Really, I wasn't made whole. But we give evidence, just like the priest gives evidence, we give evidence to to one another of, of God's grace in each other's lives. And we don't believe the lies of sin. Now, we have not been cleansed or made complete. Ray Ortland, in his book, The Gospel, we read it together. If you haven't, it's in the back, read it. The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ, he taught us that in the church, it is in this state of being restored and redeemed, that is at that moment as a restored and redeemed people that the church then makes visible to the spiritually dead world what restored humanity looks like. You've joined. We celebrate today the Lord's Supper as a joined people proclaiming the Lord's death until His return. What redeemed, restored community looks like to a spiritually dead and leprous world who think they are alive but are dying and dead. Do you believe that Jesus has completely cleansed you? Are you walking in redemption and restoration? Do you realize your, your, your cleansed state a part of the church? Are there others here this morning? Are they, are they able to kind of point things and point evidences of God's grace in your life? Are they able to point to you and encourage you that you're no longer a leper? Or are you still hiding in fear? Putting up a persona. Are you still trying to live like a leper? Brothers and sisters, the gospel work is as such that it makes us clean. Completely. Not just physically like this guy, but redeems us and restores us completely. Right before the Father and right before one another. Righteous before the Father and righteous before one another. Take hold of that. Believe that. Preach that to yourself. Let that be the reasons why you lean in to each other even more. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We give you the glory for the cleansing that has taken place in our hearts in our lives and eventually we will see one day in our bodies we give you the glory for all things in Christ's name we pray, Amen